Hey guys, it's RJ and Angie, and this is the Rich by Intention podcast. Today, our guest is Tara Jackson, also known as Madam Money. She's the author of the best-selling book, Financial Fornication and the Four Financial Languages, The Secrets to Communicating About Money. Tara is a personal finance expert and international speaker. In this episode, we discuss her book, The Four Financial Languages of Money. This is such a great book for couples to learn how to communicate about money in their partner's financial language. We discuss this and more. We hope you're encouraged by this episode. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button and leave a review. Get our free cheat sheet to get on the same page about money by clicking the link in the show notes below. Thanks for tuning in. So Tara, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. For those who may not know you, can you just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. My name is Tara Jackson, aka Madam Money. I am a personal finance expert and a media contributor. People love to pay me to talk about money. I am the author of best-selling books, Financial Fornication and the four financial languages. And I love teaching people how to effectively and lovingly communicate about money. So that's the four financial languages is my, is my heart, is uh, financial linguistics. <laughs> and that I, that I love to help people with. Um, formerly, I, I used to be a financial coach and I was specifically financial coaches to marriage counselors who had clients who were arguing about money and then they would pull me in to interpret and translate what they were saying financially to each other and help them with some communication skills with talking about finance because it's a little bit different than talking about other things. It's probably more intimate and significant as talking about infidelity. And there's a lot of people that will say, you know, I cheated on you, but they they don't want to say, yeah, I just bought this $10,000, whatever, and they hide that until it needs to be found. So I found that to be very interesting. But yeah, I'm that chick that calls herself that chick. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, we love, we love your book, The Four Financial Languages. And that's actually what we want to dive into today. You know, with For Rich by Intention, you know, we're a platform that wants to see couples win with money. We want to encourage couples to be open, have open and honest communication about finances early and often. And so, you know, your your book really intrigues us. And so, you know, what led you to actually write the four financial languages? Like, what was your inspiration? I kind of got sick of seeing the statistics that, you know, one in three or one in five marriages end in divorce because of finances, right? And my whole thought process was that money and finance, it's a tool and no tool should have the power to destroy what God put together. You can cheat on me and I can forgive you and we can stay together, but you lose your job and we have no more money and we're dealing with financial issues. Now I got to leave you. So it, it was one of those things where I wanted to give them some, give people communication skills so that at least if they're going to break up, it's not going to be about money. How about that? Let, let's, let's not do that. And also being a former CEO of a credit union in Atlanta, Georgia, you know, I've seen how couples argue, how couples hide money, how, you know, all of this. And I just thought it was very unnecessary. And then, of course, you know, we have the, the five love languages, right? And that's how I learned how people love differently. 
And that's in my course of study and my course of you know, counseling and my course of experience, I realized we communicate differently about money. So it's relatively the same thing. So that's what really inspired me to put something out there because there was nothing out there that really talked about financial linguistics. Okay. Yeah. So that's interesting, right? That, you know, you came with this idea for, you know, how people communicate about money differently, but why do you think it's hard for companies? Com- why do you think it's hard for couples to actually communicate when it comes to money? Well, it's more than likely because they, they're speaking different financial languages and, you know, their background with how they deal with money, how they learn money are, is different. So if you are a, a spender and you happen to fall in love with a saver, you're more than likely going to argue about money because you're communicating differently, even though you may be saying the same thing. It's almost like you speak German and I speak Spanish. We love each other, but there's a language barrier that will cause frustration, that will cause miscommunication, and that could cause problems. And so I, I just teach people to respect their financial, learn what their financial language is, respect it, but respect other people's financial language because savers and investors are very uh, judgmental. I just have to say that they are just very judgmental. <laughs> you know, you know, savers. If you just save your money, you'll be fine. And investors, shut up, do what I say, and invest, and you'll be fine. And you know, spenders and givers, we ain't trying to hear none of that. And we just think, you know, because I'm a spender, so we just think savers and, and investors are just superficial. So, so I guess we should like back up a little bit. Can you just tell us what exactly are the four financial languages? Yes, the four financial languages and their dominant financial languages is saving, spending, investing, and giving. And you can be fiscally bilingual. There's a lot of people that are fiscally bilingual, right? That sounds so sexy. I know. I was like, oh, you're fiscally bilingual. It sounds so sexy. Hmm. And that just means that you can speak in multiple financial languages. You could be a spender, but you can also speak, interpret, and understand investing. Or you're a spender, but you're also a giver, right? So, but you're dominant. That's, you know, and how people can determine their dominant. I usually say, if I gave you a million dollars and nobody knew about it, just you and me, you, you didn't, your spouse, nobody knew you had a million dollars. What's the first thing you would want to do that would bring you joy? Would you go and buy something or pay something off or spend it in some way? Would you save, you know, a lot of it because you need the safety net? Would you invest a sub portion of it, or would you give off the top? And whatever your heart's desire, what would bring you the most joy, and it's the first thing, not what you should do or have to do, but what you want to do, that would normally determine relatively what your dominant financial language is. Me, I'm going on somebody's island and nobody's going to find me for a minute. So I'm going to spend a little bit of that money. You know, one of the reasons I love your book so much is that, you know, it's easy to understand, right? Like it's very similar to, you know, the the love languages, right? The five love languages. And, you know, for a lot of married couples, they do that quiz and, you know, like they're able to kind of easily see how their spouse receives love. And I think you've put this, you know, this book gives gives partners an easy way to identify who their partner is financially, if you will. And so, you know, I love the breakdown of, you know, each of the each of the different languages from saver to giver to investor to the spender. And so I guess, what do you think are some of the challenges when it comes to communication amongst each of these different languages? The biggest challenge is most people don't know what their dominant financial language is, right? So they don't don't even know how they need to be communicated with. And so when other people are communicating with them, they feel this uncomfortableness or even anger. So as a spender, 
you you'll probably know that you're a spender if somebody says, you know, you can't spend that. We're on a budget. You need to stop spending. And if you cringe or you get an attitude like this is my money, I, I, I work hard for this. I'm going to spend it the way I want to. Or, yeah, tell me not to spend. I'm going to spend my money, your money and everybody else's money. But once you really understand who you are and understand what your dominant financial language is and respect it, because no language is any better than the other. Right. So everyone has been trying to say, oh, you need to be a saver and spending is bad. Spending, being a spender is not bad. It's just like being a saver, giver or investor is not bad. What makes everything bad is excess. If you overspend, if you hoard your cash as savings, if you invest everything and lose it, or if you give all your money away, that's what make it bad. But one of the biggest challenges is that people don't really know what their dominant financial language is. So they don't know how they need to be communicated with and how to communicate in their language. And then the next one is they don't respect the other person's financial language. They assume or believe that you need to speak my language. You know what I'm saying? You're a spender and I'm a saver. You need to speak. You need to do what I say and speak saver. And they don't respect the other person's language. Yeah. You know, like when there's an example in your book that I think kind of breaks down between the saver and the the saver and the spender in, in the relationship. and to your point, you know, as the saver, someone might say, well, I'm the saver. I'm trying to look out for us financially and put us in the best position as possible. Whereas, and they get kind of, you know, upset with the spender for kind of taking the family goals off track. So like, how would you kind of like talk to that couple? You know, like, what would you kind of help? How do you help them work through those issues of, you know, I'm trying to be, you know, put us on track financially, but you're just derailing us. I mean, just think about it with food. You're, you know, like one of you decides to be a vegan and the other one's like, yeah, no, bacon is my life. So that's not going to happen. Right. So you as a vegan is going to say, you need to stop eating meat. You need to stop eating meat. You need to be healthy. I'm trying to get us healthy and everything like that. Well, the person that doesn't choose to be vegan or whatever, either are going to dismiss you or block you out or tune you out and they're going to do whatever they want to do, right? So it doesn't help you to reach that goal. The first thing you need to do is collectively determine what the goal is so that we know what it is that we're working for. Because it's not that spenders won't save, we save on purpose to spend, right? (laughs) So, uh, you know, the reason why I can save for retirement is because my future self, Juanita, wants a young boyfriend and wants to travel. And both of those things cost a lot of money. So in order for Juanita to get her young boyfriend and travel, Tara is going to have to start putting money aside in a retirement fund. So I I say all that to say is once you identify what the goal is, then you need to learn each other's language to know how to communicate. Because I would not go to a saver and talk about how much I want to spend what I want to spend on. I would go to the saver and say, hey, can you help me shop around for this item to see how much we can save and stay within our budget? Instead of saying, hey, I want to buy this flat screen TV. You know, the saver's going to be like, no, that's not with helping us towards our goal. That's not helping us save. Why would you even want to do that? We have 20 TVs already. You, you, they're going to give every reason why we cannot spend any money. And that's going to frustrate the spender. And then the spender is going to go spend the money anyway. So one of the tips I say is one, have a common goal. Two, two, learn your own financial language. And then three, learn your partner's financial language, respect it and learn how to communicate. Because that is a show of love when you 
decide to learn intentionally learn your partner's financial language so that you can communicate better with them. You know, you you hit the nail on the head. I think having the common goal is like one of the most important things you can do in your relationship and can hopefully help mitigate some of the money misunderstandings, as you call them, <laughs> you know? And so I guess, you know, a lot of us already know like saver and spender, like we already know, you know, that's a pretty well-known language, if you will. But can you just dive in a little bit more with the givers and the investors? Like what exactly is a giver and what exactly is an investor? Great. So the investor is someone who chases the return on investment. The reason why they give their time or that they, you know, spend their time or invest their time is so that there is some type of investment or a return on it, whether it is gratitude, whether it is learning education. And that's the way that they look at their money. Anytime that they're going to put their money somewhere, they want to know what is the benefit with them? What's in it for me? How am I going to benefit? What is the return going to be? So if I'm going to put this money here, what am I going to get out of it as a return? So they're always chasing the return on investment and they could be investors in stocks. They can be investors in real estate. They can be investors in businesses. They can be investors in people, but their their whole thing is, what is my return? And they chase that return, but they also understand the risk. They understand that, you know, with any type of investment, you can lose it all, but them, they're like, yeah, I can lose it all, but I can also get it back. And if I invest the right way, I can get a high return. So they're very logical thinkers. They are intentional learners. So if they want to get into cryptocurrency, they will research, look up, join groups, you know, listen to podcasts, everything about that. So that's what I love about my investors. They are very intentional learners and they're willing to take the risk because they understand the reward. The givers, what I love about my givers is that they're very eclectic and that they're automatically fiscally bilingual. So a given their heart is, how can I serve? How can I help? You know, they they just have a philanthropist heart and they always want to help someone. They will give their last dime to someone in need, even though they may need it. And so usually with givers, they speak two different languages. They are either, if they can give money, they're more than likely also a saver because they have the money to give in most cases. If they give gifts, you know, my grandmother used to do this all the time. We used to go to the dollar store. She would buy $100 worth of stuff. And I'm like, who is this for? Oh, I don't know. It's a gift just in case, you know, somebody's birthday comes up or whatever. So she was a giver of gifts, which made she was also a spender. And then you have your angel investors or, you know, people that want to give to businesses, give to people or whatever that they're usually an investor, that type of giver, right? Your angel investors are usually the givers. I want to give back to the community. I want to help the community and all that, but I'm going to invest in their business. I'm going to invest in the community. I'm going to invest in the school. So that's what's unique about givers. One thing, don't tell a giver not to give because they'll do it behind your back anyway. And don't tell a spender not to spend because then they'll spend your money, their money and everybody else's money. But the investor and and what people need to really understand, it's not just the battle between saving and spending. That's one battle. The other one is saving, saver and investor. Those are two totally different languages. And a lot of people think that if they're a saver, they're an investor. If they're an investor, they're a saver. And that's not the case at all. So the saver needs safety, security, control. Investor embraces risk. And when those two come together, the saver freaks out because they don't want them to invest all their money and lose all their money 
And the investor's like, can you get, you know, can you let go a couple thousand dollars, dude, so we can invest in this? And so there's always that battle. And then there, you know, there's a battle with the givers, depending on where, what they are, because the givers want to give away everything. The spenders, we're relatively selfish because we want to spend it on ourselves first. Don't judge us. And the investors, they were like, well, we can give another way or, you know, so there's always a battle with all of the, the languages. I don't want people to have this misnomer that is just savers and spenders. All languages, when they come together, if they don't know how to communicate with each other, can have those money misunderstandings. Yep. I actually want to dive a little bit deeper on the investors, right? Because, you know, since the pandemic, a lot of individuals are starting to learn about investing in real estate or crypto or just the stock market in general. So how can an investor get maybe a saver or a spender on board with their investments? With the, with the saver, you're going to have to explain to them that you're going to, not going to invest all their money because savers have a certain threshold in their account. And if they get below it, they freak the hell out, um, whatever their threshold is. And they have to understand that you're not asking them to invest the entire amount. You may want to just, let's try $1,000. Let's see how it goes. And then you have to help them through that and be patient with them because that you're tampering with their safety, security, and control. That's why savers like budget. They like to plan things out. They, you know, they're, they're on path. This is not the path that we're taking. You can't go out of the, you, we can't invest this, lose it. That's going to take us away from our goal. So helping them understand whatever that they're trying to get to, that it won't impede on it, but it can help grow it faster. You know, you want to save this, we can invest it here and we can have more money to save in, in, in for the future or for whatever. So that's there for the, you said for the spender, we need to know, and I, I say that lovingly because I am a spender, that anytime someone's trying to take our spending power away, that's when we fall back. So if you say we need to put money aside and save, but you can't spend this money, you're taking away my spending power. You need to put this money away for investing. You're taking away my spending power, right? So in our minds, we need to spend because we're chasing the transaction. There's something about the transaction that's organic, orgasmic. It's just the best thing in the world, whether it's a dollar or a million dollars. So in order to get me to invest, I need to spend on investing. And I need to know that if I invest, I potentially can increase or get a return from it so I can spend more later. Just putting in a savings account is not going to help you to get more money to spend more later. We need to put in, an, you know, spend some money into this investment account so it can double or whatever our money so we can spend more in the future. So you, you'll have to speak into their language and understand their language. If we're chasing a transaction, that investment is a transaction. Very good. Love it. You know, as as you're speaking and, you know, speaking of, you know, communicate in their language, you know, in the book, you talk about positive and negative triggers. And, you know, I know the whole <laughs> there's a lot of trigger words between a saver and a spender. But can you kind of like break that down, like how we should best communicate with each so that we don't step on those primarily negative triggers? Like what are the what's the positive words we should be using with each? With savers, positive words are budget saving, you know, safety, security, your money is secure. That's why they like FDIC or NCUA insured accounts, anything that's going to protect them. So anything like, hey, can you help me save some money? Can you help me shop around so we can find the best deal? 
How can we stay in, but so we can stay in budget. They like all of those. That's that makes them feel good. Like, oh, they're finally doing what I tell them to do and we can go for it. <laughs> Yay. And the spenders, when we hear budget, we kind of hear diet, die, deprivation. I can't know. And we don't got time for that negativity in our life. So we like to hear spending words. We love the word sale. You know, that's the biggest one there. We love the word spend. We love shop. That's why shopping spree is a real thing or, or retail therapy is a real, real thing. So when you're talking to us, don't talk to us in form of budgets, talk to us in form of spending plans. What are we going to spend our money on? Let's choose how we're going to spend our money. Or, hey, we got 500 extra dollars to spend. If you put parameters around that, you know, then we'll spend 500. You know what I mean? But if you tell me we can't spend this and you only have 500, I promise you I'm going to spend a thousand dollars. I promise you. Just because you told me I can't do it. Right. The givers, you know, they just want to be appreciated for them giving and not be told that they're doing something wrong by by giving. Like you should be giving your daughter all that money or whatever, but that's what brings them joy. So anything that helps them philanthropy, anything that helps them, that's their pleasure principle. When they feel like they're helping someone else, that is what makes them feel good. And the investor, again, is the return on investment. And they love jargon. And investors think that when they speak the jargon, everybody's supposed to know what the heck they're talking about. And we have no clue. We just nod and blink and hope they stop talking sometimes. So, but investors, when they, they're hungry for information. So you need to talk in form of investing. And if you want someone to spend, if you want investors to spend, Hey, let's invest this money in this. And then this is what, how it's going to help us. So it may not be monetary. So we say, let's invest this money in this new sofa. And then what we can do is we can sell this other sofa and maybe make some money or whatever, or this is going to help. So they want to know what the internal on, on investment is, not just monetarily, but also emotionally. Also, you know, mentally, you know, that that's really big right now. I'm going to invest my time. I need to know that I'm going to get something in return that's going to make me feel good. That So they're always looking for the return on the investment. I hope that answered the question. Yes. No, definitely. So are there financial languages that are most compatible with each other? I think they all can be compatible if you're, if you're communicating effectively, right? Givers, let's see, the most compatible. Because, you know, some people might say, oh, well, if I'm a saver, then I need to marry a saver. Or, you know, and you, oh, you, or, you may not want two spenders together because then they'll spend all their money. So <laughs> I think the, the givers, I think there's going to be problems in every, every aspect if you don't communicate effectively. The savers and investors may be more compatible than savers and spenders, but you then have that risk versus control battle. You, you know what I mean? That's the whole thing with money. Money is not, it's not like a, a, a horoscope. Like I'm more compatible because I'm Aquarius. I'm more compatible with Libras, right? And I love my Libras because they're so smart. With money, there is an intentional there's an intention on, on trying to make this work, you know, communicating. So when they say, you know, being in a relationship and marriage, it's work. That's one of those things that we have to work on to get to know each other. And it's the same thing with love. If you love differently, it's like, who, who's the best one of the love languages to be together. Everyone's going to have their own little issues, you know? So 
I wish I had a crystal ball and said, yeah, these two need to be together. I think it all involves some type of work that's going to benefit both parties. Because now if you're fiscally bilingual, you can speak any language as it serves you. So if I if I'm if I'm dating or married to or in partnership with an investor and I'm a spender and I learn investing, when I start talking about investing or whatever, now I understand the language and it's going to benefit me in that space. I spent all my money, lost it all. And that that is what turned me into a saver. And I turned into a hoarding saver for many, many years because I never wanted to be destituted again. Right. But now now that I have money back, I still save so I, I can speak and activate the saver side of me. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's so true. And speaking of of doing the work. Mm-hmm. Right. Once you identify your financial language for yourself and for your partner, what's like the next practical steps to take to make sure that you're embodying this new knowledge? So I, I, I always told couples, especially couples to do money dates and money dates are not. We sit at the table, we talk about the bills and all of that stuff. Money date is actually it deals with talking about goals. It's going out, having dinner. It's maybe some intimacy. And I talk about the different chakras and the chakras are the energy levels throughout the body and why that's important to activate certain chakras when you're together, because that's where the time spent having fun, laughing, giggling, whether it's intimacy with rubbing, touching, or if it's, you know, having sex or whatever, that is what opens up some chakras, which when those chakras are open up or when you're open to your partner Now you can have a better conversation, a very open conversation, maybe a more compromising conversation where, okay, I get that. I understand that. Right. So then while you're having the money date, you talk about your goals. Like, what is it that we want to do in five years? How do, how, where do we want to live? What do we want to do? Right. And then what do we both need to do on our ends? And you let each other make the suggestions. The problem is the saver will say, well, you, you need to stop spending as much. And then I shut the spender down. You, you know what I mean? So if the spender says, you know what, I, you know, I can put aside some extra money to help us do that. They've already made that conscious decision that they're going to spend money on savings to meet this plan. So the saver doesn't necessarily have to do that. All the saver is going to have to do is remind them of what they said they were going to do. And so when you're having these money dates and you're open and you have fun with it, and you communicate, well, what, do, what, do, what can we do individually and collectively to reach these goals? Now you have something to work off of. You know, we love money date, dates <laughs> in, the, in our household. Yes. And, uh, you know, on our platform, we talk about money date nights. And we, you know, we want to encourage couples, you know, to have more money date nights, make money less taboo, have open, honest communication about money often, as much as you can and, you know, create the space for your spouse to be able to open up and be vulnerable with you. You know, like you have to have a safe space. And like you said, you have to have fun with it. You know, think about go back to why you married this person. You know, I know like in marriage, like in, you, you hit the nail on the head by saying it's work, right? Like every everything worth having you have to work for. And if you believe that your marriage is worth having, then you have to do the work. You have to dig into who your partner is financially and understand their language, learn how to talk to them in their language. And, you know, on those money dates, you know, 
don't bring up those negative trigger words. And no <laughs> kids. Know? And no kids. And, and no kids. And, and don't be judgmental. You yes. know, so if no someone says zone. something, yeah, if someone says something and it's not in line with, you know, what you believe, it doesn't make them wrong. It may make them different. So you don't have to agree with everything they say. You just need to listen and respect what they say, right? And I, I had to teach that to a lot of my customers when I was the CEO. So they would come to me with a problem and they want, say, their fees waived. And I had to tell them or explain to them why it's not going to happen. They ain't got to like it. They just need to understand it. And that's the same thing when you're talking to each other about money. You may say something and the other person, you know, you may not like what they said. You just need to understand where it's coming from and understand why they may be saying it. And it could be because of how they were raised. It could have been what they were taught. It could have been their experience. So I talk about all those things that trigger or create that dominant financial language for us. So no judgment zone. Yes. No judgment. Safe space. Have fun. Yep. And yeah, you have to give each other grace. I mean, that's like the number one thing to do during these conversations, but it has to be fun, right? Like, you know, avoid those words, right? Because the B word, which is budget, you know, you gotta, you can't, we can't talk about a budget. Yeah, right. We can talk, we can talk about an investment plan, a savings plan, a spending plan, but yeah, not the the B word. (laughs) You know, you know, we love the book, Tara, like you, you're not like, there's so much knowledge to gain for couples from this book. And so we hope, you know, we encourage couples to read it for themselves and start really learning about how they can communicate best with their spouse. So, you know, Tara, what's next for you? Oh, wow. So I have a lot of things happening. I own a uh, website building and virtual event planning and production company. So that's been keeping me very busy. Still mad of money. So I've been doing a lot of media contribution with Black News Channel and Al Jazeera and Black Enterprise. So it's just been really busy. And then also I launched a, uh, it's almost like a five or a freelancer for Black-owned and women-owned businesses called DP Gigs. So if people want to be intentional about buying Black and they want to hire a service provider, they can find a service provider on that site, dpgigs.com. So I'm very busy. I'm very excited about what's coming next. Of course, Financial Fornication Reboot is going to be coming out called The Confessions of a Financial Fornicator. We already know our listeners are like, what? Financial fornication? Can you break it down a little bit for us? Give us a give a synopsis. Okay, so sure. So long, long time ago, I used to have several TV celebrities that were my clients. And when I watched them on TV, I noticed that they were okay about talking about who they slept with, who they wanted to sleep with, the relationships and all that. But nobody talked about their crappy credit because I've seen everything. I've seen all the backstory of the crappy credit. They had no savings. You know, the industry was paying for their housing and all of that. And I was also looking at my uh, dysfunctional relationship with money as well, being um, a leader in a financial services industry and how I was promiscuous with multiple credit cards. Don't judge me. And then I ended up with financial STDs, substantially tremendous debt. And I needed some cures, right? Because I was getting my assets kicked by these financial institutions. So I needed to find some exit strategies to get out of that, but I needed to learn how to date my bank. And it's just like dating a man. You know, a lot of us are having these financial one night stands with these financial institutions 
end up being financially abused and wonder what happened. So there's five steps to dating a financial institution. And I had to learn that. So I figured if I could benefit from it and it works for me, maybe it helps other people because talking about finances is taboo. But if Hardy's can sell, if, if Hardy's can use sex to sell a cheeseburger, I can use it to sell financial literacy. So okay. that's what I'm talking about in financial, uh, financial fornication. I take what we understand about physical and personal relationships and tie them into financial money and credit relationships. Because if we can giggle, we can learn. If I can make you laugh, I can make you learn. Mm. And so that's, you know, breaking down that seriousness of the barrier of, oh my God, we're talking about money uh, to make it fun. You know, that's my, that's my whole thing. This should be a fun conversation. Agree. Agree. Well, we might, we might need to have you back to talk about financial because <laughs> that, yeah, that wordplay, I was like, Ooh. whoa. But I love it. If you if I can make you laugh, I can make you learn. And you know what? Right. If you, sex sells. Right. So why not? Why, why not? Is it for financial literacy? Like, and it's just so true. Like like financial literacy, financial education should be fun. Right. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be like another, you know, course that you're taking that you just have to get through. Like it should be like English. I hated yep. English. <laughs> or, I've written three books, but I hated English. <laughs> That's so funny. Geometry or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Right? So, yeah, no, this has been amazing, Tara. We really uh, appreciate you just being in here and just sharing, you know, your book, sharing your knowledge, sharing your story. This has been amazing. So lastly, where can people find you? Madamoney.com, M-A-D-A-M-M-O-N-E-Y.com or in all social media, Ms. Madamoney, M-S-M-A-D-A-M-M-O-N-E-Y. Okay. No, Tara, thank you so much. We are huge fans of yours and we're just so grateful that you joined us on our podcast. So you're welcomed anytime. (laughs) So I'm a fan of yours as well. So I'll be, I'll be a crash in the party. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, that was good. Thank you for tuning into this episode. If you like what you heard, hit the subscribe button and leave a review. Follow us on Instagram at Rich by Intention for money tips and inspiration.